Proverbs chapter 12. So I've been reading through this entire proverb several times. You don't have to do that too many times before an obvious theme uh, is discovered. So we're not looking at every verse, but I do want to show you this contrast in Proverbs chapter 12 between the righteous and the wicked. So uh, we'll just look at the selected verses. Look at three, verse 3. A man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. So the contrast, the root of the righteous, the righteous has a strong foundation, whereas the wicked uh, are not established. They're, they're here for a while, they're gone. Verse 5, the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit. So there's that contrast. Thoughts of the righteous, counsels of the wicked. Verse 7, the wicked are overthrown and are not, but the house of the righteous shall stand. Similar to verse 3, uh, but its own statement there. Verse 10, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So the righteous are compassionate, the wicked are cruel. Verse 12, the wicked desireth the net of evil men. They try to entrap other evil men. That's what the word net is. It's a hunting device, a snare. But the root of righteousness yieldeth fruit. Verse 17, he that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. Verse 26, a right, the righteous is more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduceth them. So you have seven times here where a contrast is given between the righteous and wicked, and you see the, the contradictory conjunction, but each time. Someone is con considered righteous biblically if they conform to an established standard that God has given. Righteousness isn't, well, he's a little better than she is, she's a little better than they are. You know, comparing ourselves amongst ourselves, we're not wise. But it's against God's standard. And so a righteous person is not sinless, they're not perfect, they're not, they're not different than you and me, but they are striving to live as God wants his people to live. And it's translated, the root is translated, a couple different English words in our Bible. And you find it, they're called just. And in fact, you find that earlier uh, in, in our chapter, but we didn't draw that one out. Or righteous. For example, Genesis 6-9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. Noah was a righteous man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Regarding the David's uh, kingship, 2 Samuel 23, verse 3, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me, he that ruleth over men must be just, must be righteous, ruling in the fear of God. 
And the final uh, book of the Old Testament, Malachi, or Malachi, if you like, an Italian flavor. Malachi 3.18 says, Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. So we're just going to walk through these comparisons and see what God wants us to learn as we consider the blessings of the righteous. The first one says that the righteous shall not be moved. The righteous shall not be moved. So someone who's striving to live a life that pleases God to a righteous standard is stable. They're stable. Who would have ever thought that we would live in a time of such great instability? Things are just, the world's gone crazy. Things change so quickly what you could always count on, you can no longer count. I mean, even brandings and labels and all kinds of, they, they rapidly are changing. But God is saying people who strive to live a life pleasing to God, a righteous life, have great stability in their life. If you want to picture it, this is the way I picture it. They may be in the storm, but they are calm in the storm. God has given them stability. They're not, they're not shaken about by everything going on around them. You find this theme all through the Bible. Proverbs 10.25 says, But the righteous is an everlasting foundation. The foundation is solid. That's what a building is built upon. And the righteous have an everlasting foundation foundation psalm 15 5 he that putteth not out his money to usury nor taketh reward against the innocent he that doeth these things shall never be moved you know uh, unfortunately in my years of ministry i've watched people that claim to believe something suddenly no longer believe that why is such instability Somewhere along the line, and I, I'm conjecturing here a little bit, they got their eyes off the unmoving one who is God himself, which put themselves in that position of lacking stability. I like Psalm 125, verse 1. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. Now, I've told you before, I love the mountains, living that year and a half in Colorado, looking at the Rockies every day. Jan and I got to visit, actually, the Sikanskis, and they took us up to see Banff and Lake Louise, Lake Louise the Canadian Rockies. There's something about mountains. They're majestic. You know, you'd be laughed out of town if you stood there and said, you know what, these mountains, are, they're, they're going to fall apart. They're going to drift away. They're not going to be here tomorrow. You know, the average guy on the street, they've always been here. They're not going anywhere. Now, we know God can do anything. God can move that mountain. But the point is, a Christian's life should be a life of stability. Not bouncing here, bouncing there, you know, not reacting to circumstances, not allowing, uh, you know, news and stuff in the world to cause them to be always in a flutter but rather understanding that because of our relationship with God and God who does not change, we can be stable 
in the times of storm. My favorite verse of scripture, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God doesn't want us hot and cold. God doesn't want us on fire and drifting away. God doesn't want us up and down. God wants us to live our life stable because that's what he is. He changes not. You think of the nation of Israel, their goal was to be in the promised land, stable and secure. But remember, the picture of the promised land is not a location, it's a spiritual condition. It's a surrendered life. So, my Christian friend, understand storms are going to come. One writer put it this way, I sort of paraphrase it. He said, the leaves may get blown off, the branches may swing wildly in the wind, but as a righteous man or woman, we are anchored to our God and we cannot be moved. The righteous are stable. Look down at verse number five. The righteous are purposeful. You say, well, where do you get that? The thoughts of the righteous are right. And the Bible does say a lot about our thinking. Philippians 4, 8, think on these things, bringing every thought into captivity. But that, is, well, and, and Romans 12, 2 talks about not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. So the Bible does say a lot about our thoughts, but this word for thoughts here is a word that speaks of our plans, our goals, our purposes, our intentions. So if you read it with that in mind, are the goals of the righteous are right, the intentions of the righteous are right, the plans of the righteous are right. But the contrast, the counsels of the wicked are deceit. What is your motivating desire? You know, there's a, there's a worldly philosophy, what a man can, uh, what the mind can conceive, man can achieve. That's not biblical, but it sounds pretty cool. But you know what? A lot of unsaved people, that's exactly how they live. Imagine your success. Imagine your achieving. Imagine you're at this level financially. Imagine and allow that to build in your area where that motivates you. Well, let's put it into our lives. If the plans of the righteous are right, what are your plans? What are your goals? What are your intentions? You see, we are to make certain that our life is conformed to what God has for us, right? That's why the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. See if there be any wicked way. He's talking about the inner motivational thinking of our lives. Psalm 55, verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Here's really the thought to take away from this. Are your plans, your goals, your intentions God's 
plans, goals, and intentions for you. It's one thing to have plans. The question is, are they what God has? Are they surrendered to God? One old writer on this verse said, the goals of a good man are honorable, while the goals of the wicked are deceitful. So the righteous are stable. The righteous are purposeful. Thirdly, look at verse number seven. The wicked are overthrown and are not, but the house of the righteous shall stand. The house of the righteous. It's not talking about the building in which you live. It's talking about your household. So the idea of the verse is if we are striving to be what God wants us to be and not only makes our lives stable, but it has an impact in our family. Now, obviously, we've talked about this in the past. Everybody has a free will. People can turn away or they can turn to, but we need to so live our lives that we are not turning them away from the things of God. The righteous are secure. Look at Proverbs 10, 25, which is back Probably a page, it says, as the whirlwind passeth, so the wicked is no more. But the righteous is an everlasting foundation. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. 14, verse 11. The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. Jesus used the illustration in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, of the wise man and the foolish man. I think that was my son Daniel's favorite song, you know, when he was a little guy, the wise man built his house upon the rock. But he didn't like the wise man, he liked the smashing part with the rain. So, you know, there are some issues, theological issues we're working on. But we can have that stability and security when we run our home based on God's truth. Not the, not the current psychological jargon of the day. My heart grieves when I see children that are not taught to obey and not taught to have proper respect for authority. It's a grieving thing, not because it affects me. I'm bigger than that, but it's going to affect them one day. Big time. Big time. And so the verse is teaching that the blessing of the righteous extends to their household. The stability of their righteous character is contrasted with the instability of the wicked character. And, you know, just this side thought when it says that the wicked are overthrown, uh, a, a person living an, a wicked life is inherently unstable. Whether we're talking about politics, look at the, you know, the most egregious illustrations of wicked rulers, they don't last long. Uh, whether it's in business, they're, they're driving people and they're not caring for their people and it's all about them, they don't last long. It, it doesn't matter in what realm you put it, wickedness equates instability. Number four, look at verse 10. 
A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. I can't read this verse and not think about my father-in-law. He had a great dry sense of humor. They had a dog named Cinder. It was a stupid dog, but it was a, it was a nice dog. But he didn't call it by its name. He always referred to it as filthy beast. He said, I got to go feed the filthy beast based on this verse of scripture. <laughs> He's just a great guy. Miss him terribly. But it's saying a righteous person can even have compassion toward an animal that doesn't have an eternal soul. But a wicked person doesn't even have compassion toward people. You know, folks, if anything is shouting to us of the, of the uh, degradation of the moral fabric of our society, it's the kind of heinous crimes that people are able to do to other people and not flinch. I mean, I'm not even going to mention some of the stories I've read recently. I bet you read them in the news and you sit back and you say, how could somebody do that to another human being? How can they do that? How can Putin order airstrikes on a maternity hospital or any world ruler? I'm not trying to get into politics. I'm just saying, how can a person justify an action like that? Not as a Christian, it nothing to do with spirituality, just as a fellow human being. And that's exactly what this is talking about. By and large, Christians show more compassion than non-Christians. Now, there are some compassionate non-Christians, and Canadians are known for their generosity to help in times of need. It's really quite amazing, something I've learned in these years I've been up here. But the comparison is shown. A Christian will even show compassion to an animal that doesn't have a soul. Remember Jacob in Genesis 33, going back to meet Esau, and he said, you know, Esau said there's something about getting there sooner. And he said, I don't want to overdrive the flocks. We'll get there in due time. He had compassion for his animals. You see it throughout the scriptures. So the point is not to pamper your pet. That's a whole nother sermon. The point is to have compassion towards others like any good-hearted person would have for their pet. Don't have more compassion for an animal that doesn't go to heaven than you would for a person, certainly. But the point is, in contrast, wicked people are cruel and don't care about others. Number five, verse 12. The wicked desireth the net of evil men. So the wicked like to even entrap and capture other wicked people, but the root of the righteous yieldeth fruit. So number five, the righteous live fruitful lives. We're to be compassionate, we're secure, we're purposeful, we're stable in the storms, but our life is not to be for us. So let me ask you the question. What is the fruit of your life? If your life were to end tonight, what would be the aroma that you leave behind? Remember when 
Mary anointed Jesus, the Bible says the house was filled with the aroma of her life. Look, all of us only have so many days to live, so many weeks to live, so many months, so many years, and then we're leaving behind. We're to bear fruit. A farmer doesn't plant apple trees just to have leaves. He looks for fruit. And we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So what is the purpose God has for your life? What is the purpose he has for my life? Am I producing the fruit that he created me to produce? Psalm 1, verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. Verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. God has planted you by the rivers of water, your roots can sink deep to get all the nutrients, but the point is your life is to bear fruit for the glory of God, so is mine. Isaiah 27, 6, he shall cause them that come out of Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Proverbs eleven thirty: the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. You want to know the best fruit you can leave behind? You led somebody to Christ. You discipled them. They're going on for God. What a wonderful thing. Romans 6.22, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. This morning at 6.33, Dr. Ed Nelson, at age 98 years of age, stepped into the presence of his God. That means nothing to you, but as a high school grade 12 student, his church allowed me to come to that Christian school, and Dr. Nelson profoundly impacted my life. Apart from my parents' faithfulness, I wouldn't be in the ministry except for that very year, that one year in a Christian school. You want to know why I believe in Christian education? That's why. And I have spent time with Dr. Nelson, and they allowed Jan and I to stay in their home when we went back to Colorado for my mom's funeral 12 years ago. A godlier man you would never meet. I just found out that he wrote his granddaughter and he wrote his biography. I downloaded his sample on Amazon and I read it and now I'm going to buy the book and read it. A Sinner Saved by Grace. Great title. That man's life impacted so many people. They won't be able, if they were all to come back, they won't be able to allow any of them to say anything because of the breadth of the impact of his life. But he's gone. He bore his fruit, and now the aroma of his life is what we have left. And the same will be true for you and me one day. Number six, look down at verse 17. He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. The righteous are not only fruitful, but they're truthful. 
the idea of the verse is actually talking about witnessing in court. You know, uh, we, we live in a country that's based on the rule of law. But for the rule of law to work, the witnesses must speak the truth. Are you astounded at how easily people can lie and not even blink? Even people who claim to be Christians, when confronted, pressure's on. What's their go-to response? Not, you know what, I'm going to speak the truth no matter the cost. No, I'm going to lie and try and get out of trouble. And all that is a revelation of the wickedness of our hearts. We are tempted to do that. It's part of our flaw. But the Bible speaks here about how our words are the revelation of our true character. Our words are the revelation of our heart. Just a couple of verses. There's tons of them. But look at chapter 14 there, verse 5. A faithful witness will not lie. But a false witness will utter lies. Look down at verse 25. A true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. Look at chapter 19, Proverbs 19, verse 5. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. Verse 9, 19.9, a false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. The point is, a person who always tells the truth never has to remember. Think about that. Mark Twain said that. A person who always tells the truth doesn't have to remember what they said. Why? Because the truth will come back to you. You don't have to, what did I tell this person? No. You always tell the truth. It's there. And lastly, look down at verse 26. The righteous are fruitful, the righteous are truthful, and the righteous are careful. Look at verse 26. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduceth them. That phrase, more excellent, means that they're careful they're astute they investigate they search things out and it's literally talking about who you spend your time with who has an influence on you a righteous person chooses their friends very carefully because they know iron sharpens iron evil communications corrupt good manners the bible says you spend people who don't have a heart for God, it's going to affect your thinking. We had a couple visit our church a while back, maybe five, six weeks ago. They live 45 minutes or more away. There is no gospel preaching church in their area. Sent me an email this morning and said, we really don't know what to do. It's really too far for us to come there to Faithway, although we love the preaching, we love the music, we love the atmosphere. But in the winter, that's really tough to be faithful. He said the only church in our area, churches we found in our area, either you know they don't hold to the word of God or they teach wrong doctrine. What should we do? Well, I searched and there's, there's another good church 
the same distance away the other direction. I don't know of a church to recommend to him. In fact, it's one of the cities I pray for God to burden a young man or a man to go and plant a church so we could help with that. So my response was, look, I can never recommend you to go spend time in, in, under the preaching in a church that's not faithful to the word of God because either one of two things is going to happen. You're going to be influenced and you're going to turn away or you're going to have a bad spirit because in your spirit you know it's not right. You don't have the right to do that. So I gave him some other counsel, some things, and uh, he responded. We'll see what the Lord does. But the point is that's true personally, that's true spiritually. Sometimes I see a young couple start dating and I say, whoa, they're, either they're not talking or they're blinded by the emotion because they don't see, they're not going the same direction. And it doesn't matter how much you quote-unquote love somebody. If you're not going the same direction in step with God, it's going to be a catastrophe. It's going to be a catastrophe. 1 Corinthians 15.33, be not deceived. I just quoted this. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Proverbs 17.7, excellent speech becometh not a fool. Much less do lying lips a prince. So we need to make certain that we're careful who has an influence on our life. Who gets into that realm that we would call friends. That we listen to. That influence us. I said lastly, but there is one more point here. Look at verse 28. There isn't a contrast here, but righteousness is mentioned, so I included it. He said, in the way of righteousness is life. And in the pathway thereof, there is no death. The righteous, the person seeking to live a righteous life has a full life. This word righteousness is a, a different form of the other word that's translated righteous all throughout this psalm. This one means someone who has blameless conduct or integrity. In Proverbs 3.18, we're told wisdom is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her. What did Jesus promise in the New Testament? John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief cometh but not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The world lies. Everything the world tells you about, this is where you're going to be happy. This is where you're going to be satisfied. This experience is just going to, you know, you can't top this. Guess what? They're wooden nickels and they're empty promises. But a person who says, you know what? I know I'm not all I ought to be, but I'm going to live my life to please God. When they do that, they find that they can have stability. They can have security. Their household is blessed. They're not, they're not caught up in deceit and trickery. They speak the truth. Their life bears fruit. Others are blessed. You know, the fruit tree doesn't bear fruit for itself, does it? It bears fruit for others to be blessed. And they have a full, happy life. Now, without commentary, notice the contrast, the curse of the wicked. Verse 3 while the root of the righteous shall not be moved, the wicked is not established. 
verse 5, while the thoughts, the plans, the aspirations, the intentions of the righteous are right, the counsels of the wicked are a lie. Verse 7, while the house of the righteous shall stand and the household is blessed, the wicked are overthrown. Verse 10, the righteous are compassionate, but the wicked are cruel. Verse 12, while the root of the righteous bears fruit, the wicked just wants to entrap other, others who are wicked. Verse 17, the truth is shown forth in the righteous life, but lying is part and parcel of the wicked. Verse 26, the righteous is more excellent. They're thoughtful. They understand that they can be influenced astray. So they are more excellent than their neighbor. But the way of the wicked seduces others to evil. Contrast between the righteous and the wicked. May God stir in all of our hearts a desire to live a life that God would say, well done. Well done. There's a righteous life. No, not sinless. After righteous man falleth seven times, yet riseth up again. But striving after God with their whole heart so they can bear an impact and be fruitful to be a blessing to others. Great chapter. I hope you'll read it through a few times this week and let God continue to speak to your heart.